Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 39th episode of Concerned Dabs Podcast. I'm your host. Oh, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. This is the 40th episode of Concerned Dabs Podcast. I'm your host, Katie M. Kane. Uh, tonight's guest, ladies and gentlemen, we have Hash Brixen, aka Hash Man from Hash Hands Seed Company. Are you with us, Mr. Brixen? Hey, what's up, man? Thanks for having me on the show. No doubt, dude. We appreciate you taking the time, man. It, it means a lot. Um, I feel like we have really good episodes when we talk to breeders, man. The, the creativity level through the roof. So I enjoy talking to guys like that, man. Um, so I know we, we talked for about uh, 15, 10 minutes before we started today. I know, I know, my, I might get redundant and ask those questions again, but uh, any of our listeners who are on right now didn't get to hear any of those. I'm going to just resort to my cookie cutter questions really quick. Um, so you're based out of the East Coast, correct, Mr. Brick? Oh, yeah. Beast Coast Breeder. Uh, been in the tri-state area. We uh, hit the events like the Harvest Cup in Worcester, Mass. Um, we've uh, hit a couple other events. I mean, it's a developing scene out here, so we're trying to get in with people and help as much as we can. Fuck yeah, man. Fuck yeah. Okay, so... Uh... My next cookie cutter question. Um, how did you decide on breeding as your area of focus or, or trade in cannabis? Well, um, I've been breeding cannabis since I was around 13 or 14. And I mean, at the time back then, I was buying um, apes for like 60 bucks off the black market. And, you know, that's, that's ridiculous pricing even way back in the day. So, you know, I got a couple seeds together. I started growing. You know, over time, you grow a real appreciation for the plant. And uh, eventually, you know, got into land race and stuff like that, breeding heirlooms. That's dope, man. So uh, I asked you this question before, too, and, and I saw you post stuff like this on Facebook. So you talk about... Uh, breeding with land race and in one of the posts it was like you know most of everything that comes out nowadays is uh just hype based on an og cross like whatever the new og cross is like that's the new hype and um you talk about breeding with land race genetics as opposed to the latest shit so can you go into detail on that and and talk for a minute dude as much as you as much as you want to elaborate on that i uh i'm interested by your your beliefs on that <laughs> well uh where to start um land race like man that's where it all started that's the root of the culture i mean in third world countries there's still farmers that uh, thrive and survive off of these plants and they're known as land race you know they could be domestic uh they could be feral and i mean today's hybrids i mean they're breeding just for thc and i mean thc is one cannabinoid out of at least 200 cannabinoids that are still being researched today 
and land races are known to be more biodiverse than the hybrids that you see on the market today. I love land races. I mean, you work with land races over time, you grow appreciation for the plant, and you learn something. You, you gain a, a certain type of culture, and that's where it starts for breeding. You, you gain a respect for the plant, and then you work your way up. I mean, nowadays, growers, I mean, don't get me wrong, high THC is cool and all, but, I mean, it's all about the turpins, really, and the flavor profiles and getting into it with the breeding. If you want to breed yes. something that's unique, then you need, a, you need to work with something that's unique. I mean, if, you're, if you love OG, grow OG. Yeah, that's cool. But if you're trying to hit the market commercially with something that's fire, it, it's not going to be another cut of OG. I mean, if you go on Seafinder, there's like several different myths about where OG came from. And then yeah. off those seven cuts, there's like, I don't know, hundreds of crosses. So, I mean, it, it really depends where the supply and demand is. But personally, I mean, loving the culture, loving breeding and all that study, genetics, whatever, land race is where it's at. No doubt, man. No doubt. And then uh, another thing that you added earlier was um, talking about being able to germinate the seeds, like if they're if they're super old or or from really far away and, and in a totally different place. So, can you talk about some of those germination methods on on land race seeds or or seeds that are really old in someone's library? They might want to wake up and start working with again oh yeah i've, I've worked with um genetics um i mean going far back uh documented uh 1960s and some of these genetics i mean with the normal breeding methods and normal germination methods uh they wouldn't normally grow properly or even germinate properly and i mean you really have to take some care for them um, for example, old school beans, I would recommend that you soak pinto beans in water overnight. And what that does is release an enzyme that helps germinate the embryo of older seeds and stuff like that. Or um, seeds, for example, some seeds have a harder outside shell, and um, they call it the matchbook uh, trick. And um, it's where you take the seed and you lightly rub it against a matchbox, and it um, what it does is it softens the shell so the embryo can germinate. And um, there's methods out there. It really depends on what genetics you're working with. I mean, you can't really compare Afghani seeds to Thai seeds. Thai seeds require a certain level of TLC, and Afghani seeds, I mean, they're tough shells, but most of them will germinate in comparison to Thai seeds. And it's, it's just really how in-depth you really want to get with it. I mean, I've had people giving me genetics that they, they just saved the seeds from 1970, 1980, and I've been able to get them germinate myself. And then I hooked the person up with cuttings, and, you know, that's how we preserve the culture. Fuck yeah, dude. And like that's uh, that's one thing I noticed on your, your menu list too is everything seems uh, 
really different names and and not attached to any sort of hype that's current but more attached to either where it's from or effects givens um it looked like a lot of them were were bred for for hash i mean hash hands is is the name of the the company i guess um can you talk about um uh, like that dude like um like is that what you were i mean because that's that's what it looks like is if you want to run solvent list then crack some of these and see what happens you know what i um but in addition to that like yeah dude like if, if you can talk about you you know what you look for when when you're choosing phenotypes to to breed for a project or to start a new project and then also what your goals are you know with with the projects that you've done and and stuff that you're working on right now i mean uh, with my uh line of breeding and the field of study that i research and work with um, I create heirlooms out of land races. So, I mean, once those heirlooms get interbred and hybridized over time, they no longer are considered heirlooms. So, I mean, in this day and age, it's hard to find these land races. I'm bringing them back and crossing them into my own unique heirlooms. And I encourage other people to do the same if they can get their hands on the land races or if they already have them, you know, grow them, preserve them, and breed them properly. When it comes to breeding genetics, it's not as much as preservation as how you breed them and what techniques you use. I mean, if you hermaphrodize uh, lineage over time, it's going to remain hermaphrodized in a certain percentage. It's not going to be feminized, which is the common misconception out there. I mean, when it comes to breeding for me, it depends really on what each cultivar can give me in terms of genetics and various traits and such as that. I mean, when you're looking at it, there's recessive and dominant traits in each gene pool. And these land races are so biodiverse that you can pull as many phenotypes through hibernization as you'll see on today's commercial market. And I mean, you're working with like uh, South African, north african you're seeing high levels of thcv and high levels of thc so as i said it really depends what your end goal is and that's why i try to encourage people because if you're looking for clean medicine you're looking for uh sophisticated medicine that helps you as a person as an individual you got to breed it yourself you're not gonna find something in the commercial market that really atones to your your genetic structure I mean, they're doing studies nowadays about soulmate strands and uh, genetics and cultivars that work better with our genetics as individuals. And I mean, yeah, I breed a lot for hash mostly because I, I love hash, you know. We're moving yeah. more over to solventless rather than liquid distillation. And, um, you know, especially with the fresh pressed rosin, man, like a lot of our cultivars, like, they're rich in ester alcohols and all sorts of terpenes that most of the genetics on the common market, like they, they get so hibernized that they become generic. So we try to look for unique terpen profiles, unique chemovars, phenotypes. I mean, as far as it goes, I would rather open pollination, a gene pool to preserve the genetics rather than 
dwarf a certain phenotype, and that's just my own opinion, though. Word. Yeah, like that's uh, I I agree, dude. I've I've seen guys do it both ways, um, but it seems like if you're a fan of a certain strain, then like take more than one male that you like and fucking hit the females for one round just to save seeds of it. You know what I mean? Definitely, man. Definitely. And and it's uh. You, you can pick winners out of there, but uh, that was another when when you were talking about the uh, the gene pool diversity and everything too. This is a question that I had for you that I I, I read a lot of shit online. You know, I check out the forums, I watch YouTube. You know, but it's dope talking to guys who do it. Um, the the question I have is, how do you feel about breeding with feminized seed? Um, there's Obama Kush is one of my favorite fucking strains, bro. And I can't find any regular seeds of it. Like they're all feminine. And so it's like to do any sort of cross with that or, or to, you, you know, like it, I'm, I'm leery of it, but I I've seen other people do. It's like, it's Obama Kush cross with this, but I've never cracked any of those seeds and, and see if they're stable. You know, they, they start Herman after a couple rounds. I, I don't know, but, uh, that was always one of my favorites, and I was afraid to work with it because it seems like it's feminized. So can you talk about that or answer that question as best you can, man? Well, that's what I meant when I was uh, mentioning the land race and uh, commercial market genetics now. Like, Obama Kush, I, I mean, I don't know too much about it. There's so many Kushes out there, though. Like, prior to the Obama election, that could have been a different type of Kush under a different name, you know? Yeah. It, it happens the, all the time. Mr. But, nice um, is another, Mr. Nice is another one that seemed exactly like it, but just a different name. You know what I mean? Mr. Nice. Well, that's what's awesome like about, uh, chemo photography and stuff like that is that, uh, we can get these terpene profiles tested at the labs nowadays and find relatives that are similar. And I mean, even if they weren't cultured in the same environment, they could be relatives. So, I mean, when it comes to fennel hunting, you'll most likely run into a couple similar phenotypes from different gene pools. And uh, especially with the feminization, there's a lot of methods that people go by, like uh, selfing a plant through stress, that causes hermaphrodation, and um, that's not a recommended method. Uh, there's um, silver spray. Uh, I use silver spray for feminization, but I don't feminize my genetics past the, around three to fourth generation. Otherwise, you will see hermaphrodization. Uh, you will see lack of performance and vigor. And um, personally, I like to keep them photo period and regular in their their pure form i mean when i'm inbreeding genetics and land races that's just to preserve the line if i'm only working with a couple seeds that i could get my hands on uh with the hybrids on the market today and stuff like that um they're being feminized to the point where they're becoming sterile and uh by crossing them with other genetics like uh, we were talking about before like tangy Anything you cross with tangy is tangy because it's so homogeneous of the genetics are so dominant 
And I mean, even the Turpin profile translates to hybridization. So, I mean, it's the same with all the genetics that are on the market now. Um, a lot of them are just renamed and, um, you see a lot of that happening or feminization techniques that are not working like, um, the hermaphrodization and stressing genetics out. I mean, it really depends where you're getting your genetics from, man. No doubt. No doubt. Like, uh, so another thing too, is like gorilla glue number four, like that shit, uh, Every single time I ran that, it, it popped seeds, like it, it hermed out. You know what I mean? Like it seemed really unstable, but it still really popped. And it seems like people still breed with that too. You know what I mean? There's a bunch of different crosses with it. So, I mean, do, do you think most of that shit is like a waste of time too? Or it's just crack these one time and see how it goes. If you try and hold on to it for a long time, it's not going to, it's going to start popping seeds anyway. I mean, it really depends what your end goal is with breeding. I mean, if you're trying to preserve a certain lineage and gene pool, I mean, hold on to the, hold on to it, you know. But personally, I don't feel any sort of way towards elite cuts and preservation of elite cuts. Um, Gorilla Glue is one of those hype genetics that are been out there. I don't know how long now, and you know, probably was introduced to the market before under a different name. So, I mean, we see that a lot in today's industry. So, I mean, personally, I wouldn't breed Gorilla Glue knowing that it's going to hurt me with my genetics because it's just going to carry those traits over time. And, I mean, what are you really looking for in the Gorilla Glue gene pool that you want to risk with hermaphrodization? Because, I mean, it it takes a couple generations of offspring to get rid of the hermaphrodites. And I mean, the hermaphrodization gene, it's mostly stress induced. Yeah. Like uh, a lot of times, too, like I did intake and inventory at a dispensary called Human Collective for a few months. And um, some guys are continuously bringing some bomb shit. And, and, you know, every every now and then they bring in something that they're like, man, this you know, you knock a few bills off this, there's a few seeds in there, and I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, why? Like, what do you mean why? I'm like, well, why is there seeds in there? And they'd be like, well, I don't know, man. I'm like, was it just unstable genetics or what? Like, man, I don't know. And I'm like, were these plants by the door? And they just fucking look at me like, how the fuck do you know that? I'm like, bro, I bet you there's fucking, there's a crack. You know what I mean? There's a little bit of light leak and it's fucking making these ones fucking stress out and gross. And they're supposed to be sleeping. You know what I mean? It just, uh, I mean, I mean, you never really know when it comes to that sort of thing. I mean, that's really where it comes down to trusted sources and reputable breeders and stuff like that, you know? Each breeder has their own technique of how they do it, and some are better at what they do, you know? Like, I don't knock other breeders, but I've seen some of these hype genetics do horribly, like, compared to their the photos on the seed packets. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah, man. It's 
that's where reputation really comes into play, dude. You know, like if you if you follow a guy on IG and you're a fan of his stuff and you meet him at a trade show and you, you run his stuff and it looks exactly like it did in his photos, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. You know, like it, it feels really good. And but I'm sure there's stories of people where it's not like that. It's like fuck. I'm bought some shit from a I guy mean, said you know, was, it also uh, depends on the grower too you can't always knock the breeder i mean i've had people come and meet me in person at shows just to shake my hand and be like oh i grew your hash brick and it was so diverse in flavor and you know they, they give me compliments on it and that's what feels good about doing this kind of trade and career and i mean you know it's slowly developing over time i mean colleges are offering courses for master degrees and stuff like that so you know in time this could be a legitimate career for the east coast yeah dude it it seems like legalization is really happening out there too dude like and and guys are are making moves and and that's i talk about this every single episode hash bricks and but i gotta say it again no matter what if it's federally legalized i I want everybody to be able to grow their own app you know like making people go to the store is just uh not the thing to do man like everybody should be able to grow what they like and trade with their neighbor you know that's that's how i feel about it i mean I, I was a medical patient um, through the uh, registry here. And, you know, the dispensaries, they're ridiculous. They say they have sliding scale. The product isn't professionally grown. It, it's not for medical consumption. And, you know, I'd rather see people learn how to do it through trial and error and be able to be like, oh, well, that's where I messed up. I can do better next time or I can breed a better cultivar that meets my needs i mean that's where the real market is headed yeah man i agree and yeah totally because it it just uh i moved to arizona from oregon two years ago i'm moving back to washington in a month this getting my car down here and going to the stores um like the level of product knowledge by the average patient and the person behind the counter selling it is just very small in comparison to oregon and i honestly feel like the difference is being able to cultivate your own like the rule here in az is you can't cultivate your own medicine as a patient unless you live 25 miles from a dispensary which eliminates like 95% of the whole state, dude, which is whack. So, um, on, on the rec ballot, it's, it's written for six plants, which I think is dope. But, um, I also feel the same way in, in Washington. I was in Spokane a few weeks ago over the holidays and the girls behind the counter there too, didn't really know much about what they were selling other than what was on the label. And I feel like if if they had the opportunity to to grow their own they would know a lot more about the the product that they're selling how it's made and also what would work best for them and other people and then encourage other people to do the same it's a bummer when you go to a store and they don't sell clones or seeds you know it's like 
should be in every store, you know? There should be... Well, that's, every, that's every... where the divide in the industry's been recognized, is that, I mean, these dispensaries are shunning the black market professional growers who've been at it for years, who've refined their genetics, and they're hiring people off the street to bud-tend that have basic knowledge or being trained on the spot at the dispensary. You know, it's really yeah. hard for growers who develop skills prior to prohibition to get into the industry and market the craft. I mean, that's that's what we're waiting for is licensing over in, on the East Coast here. And I mean, the the system and the regulations and all the all the requirements you have to go through, it, it's tedious, especially Hell for yeah. growers who are living off of, you know, what they have. Yeah, dude, serious. Like that, that like in Oregon, they said there was going to be no out out of state money and then they changed that rule and then all this big money came in and fucked shit up and it's so flooded. I don't know, dude, like I I tried my ass off to get a fucking rec license in Oregon for 2 years, dude, and I couldn't make it happen. And in hindsight, I'm like, fuck. I'm kind of glad I didn't cuz if I would have got that loan or that investor I would still be in the red, you know what I mean? So it's like um, the size of the market matters too, dude. You know what I mean? Like the pie is only this big depending on how many people live in the state. And they say, yeah, we, we tourism is on the, it's like, man, that's not the pie. You know what I mean? That's, that's less than a thin slice of the pie. Like there, there's this many people that live in the state and this much, this much weed being purchased. It's like uh, it, it it sucked not being able to make that happen, but uh, there's windows in other places, and it's it's cool that you're in a place that's extremely populated, and you you got the skill set, and hopefully you jump through those hoops, dude. Because that was the thing too in Oregon. Once it went red, it was like uh, you had to be zoned for agricultural. Um, and, and all these places were like warehouses, industrial. So it's like they had to get all these waivers signed. There's so many hoops to jump through that most people who are just, like you're saying, growing medically, uh, whatever's left over is like we can put back into the, the operation. But it's like you can't invest in all that shit and then change locations to something that's more convenient, especially when real estate people are hip to it you know what i mean as soon as they hear cannabis they try to turn that rent up times four and it, it just uh it was just really tough to deal with man so, um oh, can, yeah, can you man. talk about I that can you talk about that on the east coast from your angle on that man because i'm sure there's a whole bunch of different hurdles out there but are are similar you know what i mean oh yeah i mean we face as much struggles as the west coast out here and I mean, we're facing the hurdles of like a startup industry, whereas Cali's already been established and now they're dealing with regulations over there and stuff like that. I mean, we're, uh, I mean, I'm sure the West Coast has their fair share of monopolies, but we're seeing it a lot to the point where the FBI is getting involved because these governments, these state funded governments are running monopolies on cannabis operations. They're charging out the ass for licensing. They're uh, making all these requirements so tedious that 
it doesn't make sense to any grower besides corporations. And then you have all these corporate conglomerates coming in, investing in these, these operations. They're buying them out for wholesale price. I mean, I think I saw a couple of dispensaries sell out in Massachusetts to a wholesale brand name. And I mean, I mean, sure, it looks glamorous. You've been in the game for a while. You just start a dispensary and you get offered a $500,000 check to sell your business. I mean, who, would, who wouldn't turn that down? I mean, it's just how the game is. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot it's of loot. messed up that because, I mean, all these states are kind of capitalizing on the industry in their own way. And in each state, it's failing miserably. I mean, all these monopolies on cannabis, it's never going to happen. I mean, the best step forward is to tax and regulate it where it accustoms the grower, the craft, and the culture, as well as the consumer. Yeah, dude, that was... uh. That was always my angle or my take on it in Oregon too, is once it went wreck, like putting all, all these obstacles in the way of medical growers, because it's like as a medical grower for a few years, you could grow some bomb shit, pay for it to get tested and then go and drop it off at a store and wait two weeks and go and collect, bro. Like that was like a legit hustle for a couple of years. Like I, I missed that shit a lot. And once it went, that was done. And it's like, all, all of these obstacles to get licensed are whack because in my mind, it's like the state could either get the tax at the point of sale or not. You know what I mean? And they're trying to like whittle away at all, all of the medical growers. You have to register with the seed to sale tracking system if you have more than two patients. And it, it just... It's whack all around. You have to get permission from the person that you're leasing from in writing that says you're okay to fucking grow, even just with one card if you're a medical grower in Oregon. So it's just, uh, just a like they keep just throwing shit at it, and it's like, yo, this is where the real talent is at. You know what I mean? Like you could you could get the money at the point of sale or not. Yeah. So. So like, can you, can you talk about that, man? I didn't mean to interrupt. Like that, that was just my take on it. I just wanted to share that with you. So if you, if you want to elaborate, please do Mr. B. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like what you're saying, man, over in Oregon, they're just like gingerfying the industry and then trying to figure out ways to monetize on it. And I mean, like it's, it's the consumer, that's the people and then the people running the business are also the people. You know, you can't just look at dollar signs and expect to monetize on businesses created by people who have hopes for this industry. You know, I mean, I wouldn't call it a gold rush, but there are people out there that are skilled sources of knowledge who could apply their skill sets to the industry, and it would be prolific for each state. I mean, it really depends on how you go about it. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of the wrong people in the wrong industry. They're getting into it for the wrong reasons. They're investing in all sorts of things. And I mean, as I said, it really depends how you go about it. But I mean, I see a lot of gentrification going on. And that's how it is. From uh, my perspective, at least, I've heard a lot from other people, as you've 
scene, I got a lot of followers with the hash hands. And I mean, a lot of people out there, they, they have an opinion and they like to be heard. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. Like, that's that's why we're doing the show, man. You know? Oh, yeah. We have, we, you know, we have concerns about the industry, too. Shout out to Will Terps, man. We hope he returns soon, man. But uh, it is. Like, it's legit. Like, we want to see uh, small craft breeders and growers still do their thing and be able to flourish, man, through legalization. And it just, uh, big money is kind of ruining that and gentrifying it man and it's kind of sad we got to try and uh voice our opinions and and hopefully people listen and um express their opinions to their local senator i guess you know what i mean because like if if it's for federal legalization those guys are gonna say yes or say no i don't think we can sign a petition as country and get it to pass that way it's like those guys got to do it on their own and hopefully they make that that correct choice Shit, the, dude. the best thing people can do is get involved in the regulation process and find out what their local government is planning for regulation of their state or neighborhood you know it really depends where you know it falls to regulation and overregulated. I mean, I I think everybody's seen that Illinois uh, just legalized and it's incredibly inflated. I saw a post on Facebook. Uh, first guy that went to the legal dispensary, rec dispensary, paid eighty dollars an eighth for an OG phenotype. Fuck, that's and I, crazy. I was I was like, I used to buy eighths of real OG when I was like 14 for 60 bucks, man. <laughs> yeah. And man, yeah, that's crazy. Cause like in Washington, I worked for my uncle in Washington for the year 2013 and 2014. He had a, a, a warehouse grow that was medical. And then when they went wreck, bro, like, there was only one room at first when it was medical, and then it was three rooms once they got the license. And like they, it, it was based on population, like the liquor stores are. You could only get a retail license based on how many people lived in your. And so the people that got them knew that there was going to be a shortage in supply too. And so when we were trimming that shit up, dude, I swear, like three different stores came through, like their their owners came through, looked at what we were. Tr- and they negotiated a price and paid for it right then before we were even done. So before it was done, it was sold. And I think they got four, bro, like four per pack. You know what I mean? And so I was like, holy shit, a lot of money, dude. And it you, it only lasted for a year or two. You know what I mean? They, they eventually granted more licenses and then it flooded. So it just... uh. It was strange to see that that kind of inflation too, or something that usually would go for, you know, between two or three was going for four. You know what I mean? Like just yeah, just because I mean, I, I've seen some crazy stuff like that, you know, especially in our neck of the woods. Some people are crazy. I mean, I've had people come up to me and tell me that I should charge people more for my craft than what I do, and I mean. It, there's a certain point where you're just inflating things and you know 
what's the point of that? It just makes it harder on everybody else. I mean, I understand people got to make a profit, but you know, there's a, there's a fine line between greed and need, you know? I agree. Yeah. Like when dudes are selling a 10 pack of seeds for 200, 250 bucks, I'm like, dude, come on, man. You know, like that's, that's a lot, you know? So I, I just, uh, it's, I, I agree, man. Like, dude, like dude's got to make a profit. What do your seeds go for, man? I hope you don't sell them for 200 bucks. <laughs> uh, right, right now, uh, we're working on a few cultivars. I'm working on a couple, um, unique heirlooms and stuff like that. Uh, it's not legal where we're living to, um, supply anything of that nature. So we try to not really, you know, advertise as much. I mean, we can go to states where it's legal and where people who cultivate our genetics are, and we can sell the seeds legally there, but it's really okay. state dependent. And I mean, we hit all sorts of events. Uh, we're working out deals with seedmen.com uh, and a few other seed banks are going to be carrying our genetics soon. I mean, 2020 growth season, man. I have so many land races to work with right now. It's ridiculous. Yeah, dude. I was looking at uh, seedfinder.eu. It's like they got a whole list of a bunch of your stuff. It's like, yeah, man. Yeah. I'm going to try and grab some oh, yeah. of those. We, if you we guys... make sure the right people get our seeds, man. No doubt. No doubt. All right. So. I'm going to skip back to my cookie cutter questions for a second. Um, can you talk about um, some of your methods for solventless extraction? Like you, you make your own hash too? Um, I've, I've done it all. I mean, personally, I've tried all sorts of concentrates. And when it comes to personal consumption, I'm a fan of liquid distillation. But when it comes to solventless, I'm more of a fresh press rosin guy. You know, I love uh, rosin presses like Sasquatch Tech and stuff like that. Ros Tech. Um, it so really flour, depends on the, like smashing, smashing nugs is what you're talking about. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. I mean, if you if you've seen some of the videos they have for uh, reviews and stuff like that to show people, like they're just gorgeous, like. I went to an event, uh, well, last year, not really. It's uh, the Harvest Cup in Worcester, Mass. There, the second annual one, and um, I think it was uh, Sasquatch Tech that was there, and they were just pressing everybody's nugs for free. And you saw this guy; he came up with like 28 grams of dry shiv, and I mean, the oil that came off of that—it just was beautiful, like. Pure rosin, man. That's where it's at. Solventless, clean, chemical-free, diverse. And, I mean, it really depends on what you use for a technique. Like, I had someone ask me if I prefer bubble hash over solventless fresh press. And uh, bubble hash, you know, I love bubble hash, but water, uh, turpins are water-solutable, and they get caught up in the leftover water and stuff like that you know and that's really where the concentrate game is is preserving these turpins 
and finding the right genetics that have those unique turpins that you can extract. Yeah. That's man. I, that's a, a dope take on it. Cause that's, uh, like that's, that's one thing too. I wonder about bringing, cause it seems like most of the stuff that guys, it's like GMO cookies, right? If they're making water hash or something crossed with 98, but you know, like that's, that's what I see most of the time. It seems like, cause that's well, like, it makes the, the glands big enough, but what about the flavor? You know what I mean? So, so please, please well, elaborate yeah. some more, man. They're, they're really just extracting for, you know, higher THC levels, like, you know, the generic game that's out there. And, I mean, that's really where the industry was at its peak is, like, a lot of people are looking for high THC and stuff like that. And nowadays, people are finding out there's over 200 different cannabinoids as well as terpenes and entourage effects in between each other in a symbiotic relationship. So, yeah. I mean... It really depends what you're looking for. Like, as I said, I love the land races because they're so biodiverse and the chemo bars you find are just ridiculously tasty and aromatic. Like, I've had some Pakistani uh, land races that have ester alcohols in them, and they're just so diverse because they haven't been altered or, you know, inbred to a certain point where they lose their luster. So what is what is the benefit of ester alcohols? Like, does that like taste better, or does that like preserve shelf life or something? Can you talk about that? Uh, talk about that a little. Ester alcohols have to do a lot with the flavor and the flavor noise. Um, it, it's it's um not really studied with cannabis. Um, I think it was uh I first heard the term with Kevin Jordy. Um. He he's a bit more experienced when it comes to those sorts of things. Um, I've just recently been getting into it uh, with the ester alcohols. I'm still studying all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, when it comes down to the flavonoids and the terpenes, a lot of it's affected by the environment and uh, variables like climate and stuff like that. So that's where the land races come into play, is there's so many diverse flavors based upon the environment. And I mean, if you're working with these genetics nowadays, you don't really see as much as the uh, diversity because the genetics, I mean, they're inbred or they're feminized to a certain point where you don't really see anything but high THC levels or mycenary or stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Like... I dig the stuff that you're saying, Hash Brixen. Um, gonna skip back to my cookie cutter questions here. Uh, I like to ask this of, of everybody who's in the industry and who comes on the show. Um, what do you feel was your smartest move on the path to where you are now? My smartest move? Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Like in hindsight, because I'm sure you've done a lot of shit in your lifetime, you know, and there's, you know, like, there's times where you doubt yourself or you question the path that you're on. So it's like, what what was your smartest move? Like, what, what did you feel best about? You know, it's like, if you hadn't have done this, you wouldn't have been here. 
Well, I guess my smartest move was uh, researching, you know, constantly researching, finding something that I can invest my time in and something that I love. Because, you know, if you're not doing what you love, then what's the point of it? I mean, I'm not going to claim that I'm all knowledgeable about cannabis. I'm not the god of cannabis, but I do know my fair share. I mean, yeah. and if I don't know something, I'm open-minded enough to ask a question or understand what someone else has to bring to the table. And I mean, nowadays, we're right now in the age where science is slowly figuring out all sorts of things. Like, I mean, there's people publishing cannabis genomes left and right and mapping out all sorts of genetics and traits and stuff like that, breeding markers. And uh, one, of, one of the people that's worth mentioning is Kevin from Medicinal Genomics. He's pioneering a lot of science over at Medicinal Genomics. And I mean, it's just crazy. We're in the age of science, you know, like sci-fi, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, dude, like that. Uh, I think I asked, I don't know if I asked you on the show yet, but I know we talked to it before. I was, you mentioned Kevin. Um, did I ask you about Phylos Bioscience? Like, what, what is your take on that and them, them trying to copyright genetics and prevent other breeders from basically owning their own shit that they worked on? You know what I mean? I mean, there, there's a lot of hearsay out there about Phylos Bioscience. Um, Personally, I they were making claims from the beginning that just gave me a red flag. Like, I mean, when you're in the industry, you learn how to recognize who's the right people and who's the wrong people. And I mean, they were kind of playing this angle for a while where they wanted to help the breeder culture and develop the industry. And look, look what happened. I mean, a lot of people are complaining, saying that all their genetic data has been stolen or misused. And I mean, a lot of the data that Phylos has is very generic data. I mean, it's basically genealogy. And I mean, it is useful in some sense, but to someone who breeds land races and stuff like that, to me, it's not that great. I mean, I don't see the big point. I mean, sure, Phylos went and tried to sell out to Big Ag, but, I mean, it really depends if you invested in their company or not. Yeah. And, dude, when you uh, when I saw your post talking about how, you know, everything is like the new hype crust with whatever, and it's mostly just OG crosses, I remember reading uh, an article about those guys before. The shit broke about them being invested in by Big Ag and all that. Um, there was an article that said they they had like 32 different submissions of different OG crosses, and they were all basically the same genetics. You know what I mean? Like just just in in different environments, and that was basically the only variation. Like, the, the genotype was the same, but I guess the phenotype could have been different, and chemotype and all that. I was just like, that was surprising. And and that's what, uh, that reminded me of your post, too. Well, I mean, if you follow um, a lot of the studies about cannabis human migration, 
and then apply it to modern day, it makes a lot of sense. Like, we're seeing the same thing going on. I mean, someone in the 70s, 80s hit the market with OG, and it was something new, similar to Acapulco Gold when it first hit the market, you know? I mean, it's it's always that, that counterculture of being competitive. I mean, that's always been there. What's the next best thing? What, you know? And a lot of the times you see the same thing being bred over and over again, and it's not being preserved. It's not being refined for certain traits. It's just being hibernized over and over again. No doubt, man. Okay. So, um, I keep bouncing back and forth, dude. I'm, I apologize, but, uh, the, the flip side of my other question a while back, um, what do you think is your your biggest mistake on on the path to where you've been right now? Because you know everybody likes to talk about the the good shit and the wins. I feel like the losses are relevant as as far as building character and, and directions. You know what I mean that you choose to take. So can you can you talk about that, man? Your biggest mistake. Oh yeah. Um, I mean there. It's all trial and error in the industry, and especially with the cannabis culture. As much as it has its highs, it has its lows as well. And I mean, I think my biggest mistake was trying to be open-minded in the way of collaboration. Um, I've tried to work with a lot of people rather than vice versa. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I've had my interviews, collaborations with people that I respect. And then there's people who I've worked with who have, you know, just completely disrespected the culture, disrespected me personally. And I mean, it's really who you associate with because there's people out there who monetize on the culture. And then there's people out there like myself who have a passion for it, who are just trying to find other people with a passion for it. And I mean, especially on Facebook, you see these groups pop up overnight. And then people are complaining they got ripped off a couple hundred dollars. And I mean, I mean, yeah. can you complain really? I mean, it's just virtual at this point. It's been going on for years. It really depends on a, you know, as we said before, reputation and knowing where you get your stuff. Yeah, like, dude. Yeah, I've met some. I mean, most times people would just not meet up if they weren't solid. But I've met some cool people through groups here and there. Every now and then, like, because I like the past, like two or three years that I was growing before I moved to AZ, I, I cracked seeds. So I would always have a bunch of extra plants, you know what I mean? So dudes would hit me up like, hey, man, you get I'm like, yeah, man, trade for some nugs or trade for some oil. You know what I mean? And it, it was always cool like that. Dudes would just help each other out and vice versa that. That's the part that I I like about the online shit is every now and then someone's cool. You know what I mean? Like you, Hash Bricks, and I'm like, fuck, let me hit this dude up. You know what I mean? He sounds like a cool cat. Maybe he'll come on the show. You know? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I, I love talking about cannabis. I mean, people that I, I know in person, they always try to shut me up because I, I talk too much about it. You know, it's my passion. It's what I do. And if I could do it better and more professional, I would. Um, but, you know, it's like a lot of the times we're dealing with stuff like, you know, the state 
uh, regulations and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, man, that uh, that shit does suck. Uh, what sort of ideas would you like to promote for the future? What was that? You kind of clipping out. Uh, oh, my bad, dude. Uh, what sort of ideas would you like to promote for the future? As as far as what you're you're working on, or the industry, or the community, or everything all together, man. Like, what what kind of ideas would you like to promote? What kind of things would you like to see happen? I, I would like to see you know more support from the local state governments in way of. <laughs> helping people in an agricultural sense rather than in a business sense. I mean, it, it's similar to the hemp industry and how that played out for a little bit. I mean, there's people who are skilled agriculturalists, horticulturalists, botanists, and they want to get involved and apply their skills. I want to see a place for craft businesses. You know, I want to see affordable licensing. I mean, all these things are necessary to pull in a community and establish a supply and demand that benefits everybody. I mean, if I could get licensing to grow, you know, like a hundred plants, I'd be preserving these genetics. I'd be helping my community. I would be paying taxes legally. And, you know, that's what most people want is they just want to be able to find their part and be able to, you know, work, find a job, create a job, create a business you know, supply to the economy. Like, yeah. these are all these people who are being incarcerated for something that could be easily turned into a profitable industry without the stigma. No doubt. Well said, sir. Well said. <laughs> no, You know, like, for real, dude, I, I, uh, I agree with all that, man. Same. Same, brother. Same. Yeah. Um, is is there uh i guess we got a few minutes left dude is there anything else that you want to talk about I, i've been asking questions here and there but is there anything else that you want to mention or or talk about before we wrap up the episode sure man i mean uh i work a lot with genetics and stuff like that and i'd like to encourage people that uh you know have a passion for it there is a place for you, you know, go and try to find where you can apply your skill sets or apply to, you know, bring yourself to a professional standpoint, especially in the industry. There's a lot of stigma and stuff like that, but, you know, it's changing. We have a developing market. We have a developing industry in America. And, you know, there's colleges that are offering courses for this sort of thing. And I, I'd encourage people, you know, invest, you know, uh, if you really have a passion for it, don't stay in the underground, you know, invest in your life, invest in your career. I mean, it's difficult with all the taxing and regulation and stuff like that, but that doesn't mean you can't research, study, and learn more as we develop these industries, you know, man? Yeah. Hell yeah, I mean, man. Yeah, keep keep going, man, dude. Like like to talk about it, bro. Like you know, 
I mean, it, I've been throughout the tri-state area. I keep up with a lot of states um, and how they go about their recreation and legalization, especially the medical industry. I mean, I was a medical patient, but, you know, the card's not worth it when you spend 1400 on a couple ounces that aren't even considered, you know, top nugs. I mean, I walked into this dispensary, and um, they tried to explain to me that they were charging more for cola nugs and charging 55 and 8 for bottom nugs. And, I mean, with my cultivation techniques, all I grow is cola nugs, man. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah, and, I mean, you see a lot weird. of that in the industry. I mean, not to even mention the mold and powdery mildew levels. I mean, we're seeing a lot of that, especially in the medical industry and the legal industry, is protocols for sanitation, man. That's really what we should encourage for people is to learn how to divert these situations because that powdery mildew is not good for your medicine. It's not good for you. It, it's crazy. Yeah. No doubt, man. Like that's uh Yeah, that's one thing in Oregon too, dude. Like we always took pride in passing that test for mold and pesticides as medical growers and then it's like once it went wrecked there was no more mold test. They still check for pesticides, but now it was salmonella and E. coli and no mold. So it was like and their reasoning was that well if you're if you're purchasing it for recreational use then Mold isn't your concern anyway. You know what I mean? I'm like, what the fuck? Like that, you, you know, like it just, it made no sense to me, but whatever. They're, they're finding Easier. all these new pathogens that cannabis is acceptable to. And I mean, that that's another thing that we're talking about is like finding a reputable source for your medicine. I mean, I'm not trying to knock every dispensary, but I mean... A lot of the people that you see in the black market have been doing it for a while, and that's why people go to them, you know? It's it's kind yeah. of like a, a question of would you go to Walmart to buy your weed or someone you've known for, you know, five to ten years, right? Serious. Like, yeah. If you get to shake hands with the guy who fucking makes it, then that I trust that way more than fucking that's, Walmart. That's where I'm about, man, you know? It, yeah. It's that trust, and I've met so many underground breeders who trust me with their work, and, you know, collaborations, that's another thing, is, like, it gets crazy, you gotta watch it, because people see something that you have, and they'll try to be your best friend to get it, and I mean, I, I found more underground collaborations with people who just want to swap genetics and work on different cultivars rather than trying to get in the legal industry and do it. I mean, I had someone offer me uh, their farm to cultivate my genetics, but they would own all the plants on the farm, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's not... Yeah, dude, serious. I, I honestly meet a lot of cool underground breeders, too, that license one way or the other, but it's like their work is fucking phenomenal. So. I'm I'm just thankful that I get to shake hands with and talk to them and shit, you know? It does. That means a lot more to me than Walmart, you know? Or, or big money cannabis, oh, yeah. whatever. Yeah. 
and and that's honestly dude that's why i appreciate you coming on the show man like i, I hopefully want we can sit down and shake hands and smoke one man exchange some beans yeah. oh yeah man and then um the, the the last thing i wanted to ask you before we wrap up is do, do you want to plug your social media like are you on um instagram facebook twitter um right now i'm not big on social media purposely uh yeah Stay i'm, I'm ninja really is important. but like i mean it's gotten to the point where i go to these events and people ask me for business cards or how to get a hold of me if uh you know for various reasons and i mean we're on facebook uh that's the only social media platform that i really care about at the moment you know i, I mostly post my ideas what's going on i mean i've been doing a lot of posts about micro propagation and vitro culture that's where my study's leading me and um that's pretty much it i mean it's hash hands genetics if you find us on facebook you find us if you don't then <laughs> it's probably facebook's fault no doubt yeah okay well so uh anybody who's listening if you're on facebook hash hands genetics look for the guy he's uh he's doing some some awesome things with land race genetics and uh we really appreciate you coming on the show, Hash Brickson. Like, we appreciate it. Yeah, man, anytime. And then um, I will send you the links once they become available. The YouTube should be up, like, right after this, but uh, the Spotify uploads on Tuesday. So um, I'll, I'll email that to you, man. So hopefully you can share that with some friends. Hopefully they they dig it, man. Like a, and then also, dude. Hopefully we can have you back again on on the show sometime in the future, and and see where you're at. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, man, definitely. I'd love to come back. Okay, man. So that concludes our episode, ladies and gentlemen. I'm gonna go ahead and do my outro dance. This was. The 40th episode of Concerned Dabs Podcast. I was your host, KDM. With me tonight was my guest, Hash Brixen from Hash Hands. Um, you can look them up online, Hash Hands. It's the guy. I got to give a shout out to my guys in production, Mitchell Wilson and Jesse Curry. This has been a main node and Joseph Street Enterprise production.